Are you feeling stuck? Are you worried about what others think and this stops you from taking action? Do you need to find the proof that you're as strong and courageous as you wish you were? That's where I can help. Welcome to Finding Proof, a podcast where you learn to create the tools you need to reach the next level of your success. I'm your host, Dr. Tess Crawley. I'm an Australian clinical and forensic psychologist and an evidence-based success strategist. I'm on a mission to help you find the evidence you need to make the next courageous leap in your life, business and work. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to Finding Proof. You're going to be joining us on the podcast or on the Facebook page for Finding Proof. You might even be watching this on YouTube. Welcome wherever you are watching or listening from. I'm very excited to announce my very first and introduce you to my very first guest on the Finding Proof show, a very good friend of mine, Mr. David Fuller, who is an Australian musician and songwriter of long-standing and he is just launching his latest single, Rope to a Drowning Man. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about what kind of confidence, confidence even, it takes to launch your music career, relaunch and rebrand your music career when you're not an 18-year-old member of a boy band. So welcome, Dave. I'm so glad to have you here. And cheers to you, my friend. We're having an evening glass of wine. And cheers to you, Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you. Great to be here. Tell me a little bit about your uh, musicianship, your history as a music- musician. I know from what you've told me in the past that you started playing the guitar uh, very reluctantly as a kid because you weren't allowed piano lessons. So blood, run, blood is full of music in your veins, it sounds. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a checkered past, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I started playing guitar at 14. Actually, at that point in time, I wanted to be a drummer and secretly have always wanted to be a drummer. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I don't know if my my parents were probably very wise and didn't buy me a drummer kit. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty noisy things. but um, So they bought me a guitar for my 14th birthday and um, sent me along to... Um, guitar lessons um, and I actually learned sort of country pick strum strum kind of uh, guitar style for a little while and then I just thought no I'm out of (laughs) here and I took off and started teaching myself from that sort of point on. Um, Okay so you're self-taught that's that's pretty pretty much I've always been a rebel Tess. Yeah. Always been in a hurry. (laughs) (laughs) In a hurry you know I love it. So when did you start songwriting? So you taught yourself guitar and I can see for those of you who are not watching the video, so those of you on the podcast, Dave's sitting in his music studio at his home, which is a fully schmicked up music studio with all the bells and whistles. When did you start writing songs? Because I know there's a journey that went from learning a guitar to writing songs to all the rest because you obviously learnt the keyboards as well. Yes, actually, I transitioned to piano pretty quickly. Um, I wanted, I wanted very much to learn uh, the piano. There was a piano in my bedroom. I, um, I'm one of seven kids, and uh, I shared a bedroom with my two brothers, which was sort of like a built-on at the back of the house. So it was a reasonably large room, and we ended up with you know the spare fridge, the piano, and all the odds and sods that wouldn't fit anywhere else in the house. Mm. Um, so there was a piano in, in in my bedroom, and my four sisters used to come out and practice piano once a week. 
just before they had their piano lesson on a Saturday morning. So from fairly early on Saturday morning, they would come out and start playing, wake us up. And, um, you know, and I just wanted to play, you know. So um, I, uh, I actually asked if I could have piano lessons, but I was uh, pretty much denied that. Um, and, you know, I guess when seven kids, money only goes so far. So it was like, oh, yeah. the girls are doing um, piano, you're doing guitar. Okay. So I actually started teaching myself um, piano and um, I did it with a, basically just took the notes from the, the chords on the guitar that I knew and transposed them with a, the help of a scale book onto, yeah. um, onto a piano and, and taught myself from there. Yeah. Um, you make it sound so easy. You make it sound like, oh, you know, I just taught myself guitar, I just taught myself piano. Now, as you know, Dave, I have a bit of a history with singing, very minor history with singing and acting. Uh, what you don't know is that I spent an entire year with a guitar teacher at school trying to learn how to play guitar. And at the end of that year, he said to me, you haven't even managed one song. I just wanted to accompany myself one song and the song was the Beatles yesterday. Like it was not a hard song, but it just, it, it wasn't natural to me. So you, it rolls off the tongue for you, but this is quite a feat, you know, to teach yourself these things. Well, maybe it was better than my first song. And my first song was hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Um, I'll never forget that. So, <laughs> um, so I think I wish it had been yesterday. That would have been good. Um, <laughs> you would have had it in a flash. Kind of interesting. Um, it, it is. I actually think I knew I was a musician a lot earlier than um, than than I actually started playing. I mean, I from a, I have very early memories of just knowing, you know, as a really young kid that I could actually sing. I had no proof of that because I actually had never tried, um, but I just knew I could sing. Um, and same with music. So I guess I had a, a leaning to it um, and a desire to do it. Uh, and it's fair to say. Um, that I was pretty crap for the first few years. Um, yeah. Some would argue I was pretty crap for the <laughs> first 40 or so, but, <laughs> it, you know, um, but definitely early on, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, uh, you know, 1% talent, 99% perspiration, as they say. Or, you as know, they you've, say. And you've got to, um, you know, I just really wanted to do it. I mean, yeah. I just really, really, really wanted to do it. So I spent every waking moment mm. uh, either with a guitar in hand or sitting at a piano, driving my family completely bonkers. So I want to pick up on that, what you said about you just knew. So for those of you who don't know, Dave and I met during our uh, joint participation in Mel Robbins' program, The Power of You, and she talks quite a bit about that those moments in your life where you just know in your bones. And I've got examples of that that I've talked to my audience about a couple of times and will continue to share those sorts of stories. But for you at such a young age to have that inner wisdom, that inner knowledge that you just knew and you felt in your bones and you had the confidence because you just knew to persist with it. Yeah, I think that came a little late. I remember being, like, I was very shy when I was young, um, probably still am in many ways, um, and, and I certainly wouldn't have put myself forward at a young age. I remember trying, actually, back in primary school to get, um, we had we used to start the, it probably seems very foreign now, but we used to start the morning, everyone would line up out in the, in the quadrangle, and there was a drum marching band. 
You know, the drummers would play yes. and we'd all go off into school in our lines to the drums. Did, did you do that? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. My great memory. I wanted to be one of those drummers, like, mm-hmm. desperately. My, my godfather actually was the one who trained them and I asked him and I was basically mm-hmm. rejected. You know? yeah. I remember being That's crushed. Sad. I remember thinking, <laughs> you just don't understand. I'm really good. I, I, you know, I, I would be the best drummer. I knew that. <laughs> No proof of that, I guess, but I just really wanted to do it. I remember that. And I certainly didn't have the confidence really to push it then or, or pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't probably until my teens that I started to, to really, you know, to go after it. Um, so what was the turning point? When did you just know that you needed to ramp it up? Like, how did you do that? What did you do to ramp it up? And how did you know that you needed to? Well, I guess it's been ramped up in stages. I wouldn't say that it's, um, it's, it's a progression. My, they, they say you need something like 10,000 hours to master something. I'm not sure I'm, I've clocked up the 10,000 hours yet, but I've clocked up a lot of hours. And a lot of those hours were clocked up in my teen years. Um, so when other kids were out playing, you know, sports or, you know, uh, doing whatever they did on nighttime or Saturdays, I was in my room playing. Um, mm-hmm. So... And that was kind of like the first stage of ramping it up. It was just really intense, you know, just um, constantly at it, you know. Um, I would literally, I remember playing, you know, probably, you know, at the age of 16, around 16, 17 for hours on a, on a yeah. you know, a, any yeah. given day, you know, uh, to a chorus of shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, when are you going to learn how to play, you know, <laughs> in the background? You're going to love them. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I certainly persisted. So that, that was sort of what the first sort of ramping. Um, and then it's just been a, a progression. You asked earlier when did I write my, you know, start writing. Interestingly enough, I started writing very early. So I was probably about 16 when I wrote my first song. So, um, you know, that was a couple of decades ago. What was it about? It's about a girl? No, it was about alcohol, actually. <laughs> You were only 16. Yeah, no, I was a drunk. <laughs> um, it, I, I vaguely remember it, you know, and it was really bad. Um, but that's a that's an interesting point. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm sure my first couple of hundred songs were really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but like pancakes. Uh, it's like mm. pancakes. You know the first pancake's always going to be crap. And it's worth persisting because they get better. And I, I love it. There's a quote that I really love. By, um, I think it's GK Chesterton who says, um, anything worth doing is worth doing badly the first time. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you've honed your craft over yeah. the years. Yeah. And I just remember not- the, ly- the lyrics that actually was about heartbreak and alcohol, the combination. Mm. Look, and I think that um, for me, actually, even though I, I'm a musician and um, I actually think of myself as a songwriter first and foremost, and in particular a lyricist. I love lyrics. Uh, I always have. And um, I love the power of a lyric, um, yeah. the power of word and what it can do. So that came early for me. Mm-hmm. You've talked to me before about being able to write love songs um, mm. You, 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 you're, you're happily married. You've got the beautiful Nadia as your wife, and and yet you are able to write songs of deep yearning and love. And you've you've said to me before that well, that's your job is to write these songs, whether they're for other musicians or for yourself. What do you draw on to do that? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, well, I've been married thirty three years. Thirty three years of compromise, and um, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I draw on a lot of things. It's, um, you know, I don't think you ever forget having your heart broken. Yeah. I don't think you ever forget that emotion that, that, um, and, and I've certainly seen other people around me have their heart broken. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a voyeur, you know, I like to watch people. Um, I'm kind of, you know, I, I absorb people's stories a little bit, I guess, and, and take little elements. You, I think I've also said in the past, it's just about every song I've ever written has got a bit of me in it. You know, there's trying to pick out the reality from the fiction might be a yeah. bit of a job, but there's there's definitely always something of me in it. So I remember what it's like to have my heart broken. I remember what it's like to, you know, that initial falling in love. Um, I also know what it's like to, to have longing and, um, you know, and to, to look for, for, I don't know, the unattainable or all those sort of natural, normal human emotions. And it's, um, I guess... As a songwriter, it's my job to, to lock in or tune into that and allow myself to to feel those things and then, um, you know, express them uh, in, in yeah. some form, which is not so always... Like, like a translator in a way, almost like what an actor does, you know. That's a great, great way to look at it, an interpreter, uh, um, such a, a translator. I, it's not always easy. It can be quite difficult, um, quite a difficult process and very difficult to explain to to people um why you're emotional when there's no reason to be <laughs> or, or like you said, yeah because i've actually lived that emotion through oh. the writing process and i'm still processing it in some form or fashion so yeah, uh, it's an sure. interesting it's an interesting interesting journey at times it takes a bit of courage to do that i think uh look it's an interesting thing um yeah i think it does but to not do it um, is painful. So yeah. you've got to kind of weigh up the or balance that. For, for me, it's an extreme. There was a period in my life that I actually didn't write. I hardly played a note or wrote for nearly 10 years um, through my sort of mid-30s through to my mid-40s. Um, and I think that damn near killed me, to be yeah. honest. Um, what prompted it, that? Why did that happen? Longing. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. I longed to be a musician and make my living out of it, and I burnt myself out in the process. I, I, I was driving myself to achieve, um, to achieve it, and wasn't achieving it, and trying to hold down a steady job, and I had kids, and uh, and of course a wife, and lots of expectation, and it just piled up, and in the end something had to give, uh, and I stopped playing in bands, and and uh, I was tired, and I just stopped, um, and I would say this to any anyone who's in a similar position, learn from my mistake, and do not stop, slow down, <laughs> just yeah, slow right. Down. Right, because yeah, it wasn't healthy for me actually. As it turned out, in the long run, it turned out to be quite a um, quite a, a mistake. Um, I did. I, don't get me wrong. I did tinker a little bit during that period of time. I did write the odd. I struggled to finish tracks when I started them. I, I, so I don't think I had any completed songs through that ten-year period. But I had little snippets, yeah. and, but I just couldn't push through. Um, yeah. And by playing you know, fell away and um, coming back was quite an interesting process. 
So it sounds like it was a pretty difficult time and a pretty dark time and something changed because obviously now you are writing and you're releasing and you're doing incredible stuff. So, so how did you, I mean, I often talk about this concept of the inner superhero, you know, that the parts of you that kick into action and kick your ass into gear when, when you least think you're capable of doing that and being able to draw back, you know, on the memories of having those inner superhero moments. Where did your, when did you spin around in the phone booth and go from Clark Kent down in the dumps to, to Superman, you know, metaphorically, of course. There you go. Um, <laughs> well, it's an interesting period. At the end of that sort of 10-year hiatus, um, you, you, you know, it, it was an interesting, I look back, about 10 years ago, just shy of 10 years ago, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. Um, so we were 45, just going on 46 at the time. Um, and, you know, it rocks your world. Um, and certainly rocked ours. It was a pretty rough thing. Um, she's, you talk about superheroes, I mean, she's the true superhero in this story uh, and continues to be, but um, that's her story to tell, really not mine. But um, she was diagnosed with tongue cancer and... It turned out to be a pretty brutal journey uh, for her uh, and for me and the kids. And, and, um, and in many ways, um, I'd, at that point in life, I'd, I'd kind of stopped playing. I was tinkering. As I said, I had, a, a, I had a, a business, I had clients, I had staff, I had, and suddenly I was um, primary caregiver for a very ill woman uh, and, and our teenage girls. Ooh. And so I was carrying, um, I guess a pretty a pretty heavy load. Um, it's fair to say. Um, at the time, you know, it was. Um, and and I actually, this is the interesting part. I think I actually thought I was Superman because I tried to carry that load on my own, yeah. uh, and I eventually cracked. And, yeah. Well, crack might not even do it justice. I think I shattered in many ways uh, under the weight and. Yeah. Um, you know, looking back, there's a number of things that kind of happened. I started at that point in time um, to try and deal with the uh, emotional fallout, if you like. I don't know if anyone... I think only people who've been through this can understand. When, when, when you are caring for someone you love who's very, very ill, um, you kind of go into fight or flight. It's, it's full on 24 hours a day. You don't shut down and... I, I was starting to, um, to to really spiral into a very, very deep, dark place. Um, and, and it was really songwriting that got me out or helped me get out of that place again. Yeah. So I turned in, I guess, in my absolute hour of need, I turned back to the thing that I, I, um, I knew best that I could express myself with and I turned back to writing. Mm. And you've, you've talked about, you know, this dark time. Sorry, I've just got a terrible cup full of sudden. Hold on. Always when you need to be talking. Always. Yep. Always. Mm. So you've talked about this dark time and you, I know you've got a photograph with you of yourself from that time. And I asked you to find a, a photograph of your inner superhero. And this is the photograph that you chose. And, and I'm fascinated that you went to this photograph. Tell us about it. Okay, so this photograph was taken, uh, I very clearly remember taking this photograph 
early December 2012. Um, now, it was kind of a turning point for me in many ways. I, I'd, I'd already spiralled in a sense into a very, very dark, dark place, but I was starting to, to, to finally express that I was in deep, deep trouble and cool. starting to work through that. Um, um, without, you know, I, that, I, I was in serious trouble, Tess. Like I was suicidal, um, quietly suicidal, I guess the, probably the more dangerous type in a way. I, yeah. No one knew. I, I, I dealt for quite a number of years with almost daily suicidal thoughts um, and I wasn't talking. Yeah. Uh, but I'd started to finally open up and deal with the problem. I realised I was in, 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 a, in a bad way. And this photo was, um, was taken in my office um, one night, probably about six or seven at night I was working and I was starting to write about um, what I was going through and I wanted to capture, um, I guess the, the the feeling, the emotion on my uh, <laughs> on my face, um, and I took that photo. I took a few, but I took that photo as, as one of them. But it was a moment that kind of uh, helped change the path I was on in a in a really interesting way. It was that moment when I said, "Okay, this has this has got this has got to change. This this yeah. this, this cannot go on." And um, I don't, I don't think anyone has ever seen that photo, actually. By wow, way. really? Uh, I'm not sure I've ever shown that. I may have, but I don't think I've ever... I think it was... I may have had it briefly up on a blog and I probably took it down. Mm. So a couple of people may have seen it. But um, mm. interestingly it's interesting, enough... It's interesting that it's, it's such a laden photograph, a laden image for you. It's like it's imbued with that darkness that you were feeling. And yet when you first showed me that, that image before we started recording this evening... I just saw it as a fabulous photograph. <laughs> well, I think it is a fabulous photograph, actually. I, 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 and it, but it, for me, it really captures the essence of where I was at. Um, and, and I see it as quite a dark. Mm. Um, I'm hiding. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, clear, I'm hiding and I'm just trying to peek out of the darkness. That's, that's what that photograph says to me. You know, if you look at it, my, my face is obscured by my hand and I'm just peeking through. And that's kind of where I was at. So that's what that photograph means to me. But that guy, that guy was in serious trouble. But at that point in time, sort of rock bottom, found, uh, I guess, um, you talk about superheroes, I guess that was one of a, a pivotal moment where I could have gone either way. And um, I, I kind of chose to, to try and, and get through it. And I did get through yeah. it. You know, I don't even recognise that guy, actually. And interestingly enough, I, I mentioned the beard earlier. I grew the mm. beard about three weeks later. Um, and, and there was a very um, definite reason I grew the beard. I actually made a conscious decision that I was tired of seeing that face in the mirror and I wanted a new one. Wow. So, so I grew a beard so that I would see a different face looking back. Um, right. That That's, you know, and I've had the beard ever since. And maybe I'll shave it off down the track when I, I get tired of this face and want to go somewhere else. I don't know. But, um, yeah. Hmm. The, inter so, the interesting thing for me is I, I've talked before about this concept of, of getting a witness. You know, this show is all about finding proof, you know, finding the evidence that you need to launch yourself onto your next journey or, or bit. Um, 
And one of the one of the concepts I've talked about before is this need to have a witness. And oftentimes we're talking about a witness external to ourselves. So I've told the story before about my grandmother and the role she played in being my witness uh, for things that I can't remember. But um, you were your own witness. And that photograph, I'm interested that not only was that photograph of such a dark time, you kept it. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't like showing people, but you kept it because that was your witness. That was your evidence of how dark you got and how far you continued. And the decision, I think, the decision that you made to turn a corner. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it actually goes with a lyric too from that time, um, a song I wrote called The Light, which I may resurrect one of these days. Um, yeah, right. The line from memory was something like, um, oh, goodness me, it was... You'll never know, you'll never see the light until you've been caught in the dark. Something like that. You'll never know. Um, I'll take it out in a minute. I've got it somewhere. But it was essentially trying to say that you almost have to hit rock bottom. You almost have to be completely in the dark until you understand light <laughs> right yeah. and what that is. Yeah. Um, so for me, looking back, that kind of, I can see that, um, you know, it was definitely a pivotal moment. But... I made a decision to push through and I've been pushing through ever since. It wasn't an easy journey and it, it wasn't a, like an up, it wasn't a straight up journey. It was up and down, up and down. It, it, it was a difficult one, but every up was slightly more up. Yeah. <laughs> every down was slightly less down and over time it started to flatten out. So, you know, it's an interesting journey. I, I, I don't talk about it too much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, mainly, mainly because I'm not that guy anymore, you know, I kind of, like I remember him yeah. and, and, I, and I often, you know, um, refer to him as the imposter um, that invaded my head. Yeah. Uh, but, and it was, it was really the process of writing, I think, that helped me work through that and um, remove the imposter and, uh, and yeah. take control again. Partly. I think sometimes I think writing in whatever format is such a powerful tool for that because I think when when we've got thoughts stuck in our head they're so loud and they clamor about and and they go unchallenged you know we we accept them as if they're fact and mm. when mm. when we start writing them down and we can actually it's a concrete thing a piece of paper that you can you can tear it up you can burn it you can put it in a photo album you can do what you like with it but you can look at it and those thoughts, the process of writing, I think sometimes helps sort our thoughts a little bit, which you agree with. Well, no question about it. Um, in some ways, the writing I was doing then was like, while it was cathartic and, and, and therapeutic, it was also in some ways trapping me where I was too, because I kept going over the story, if you like, and a lot of those songs will never see the light of day, you know, they're just, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but they were necessary. Um, yeah necessary stepping stones I guess to, to move through it um, but that is so from but it did re, if, if you like um, reintroduced me to the power of, of music oh. and the power of writing for me and the absolute need that I have to do it you know it is very much at, at my my um, soul you know it's 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 part of my essence I have to do it and um, you know, I haven't stopped since. The floodgates opened. It was interesting. I used to think I was prolific when I was younger, but no. Nah. <laughs> now I've been. That's now amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I just write constantly now. And so Rope to a Drowning Man mm. came out of that period, though, didn't it? Yeah, it was right? about a year, probably about a year earlier, I think I wrote Rope. Mm. Um, you know, when I was probably 
not so much recognizing at that point that I was in trouble, but I was just angry, <laughs> you know, so it's more, it's a very, it's quite an angry song. It's about betrayal. Um, yeah. And um, about, I guess it's a song about, you know, when you, when you, when you're not in a great place, you don't make great choices. And when you're drowning, you'll grab any rope that's thrown at you. Um, and it's when you're getting smashed up by a, you know, a wild sea, it's, it's, it's a bit of a bummer to find out no one's on the other end. <laughs> and that's what that song's about. You know, it's about that yeah. betrayal, that dashing of hope, if you like. Um, yeah. Um, so it was a pretty dark, dark time for me when I wrote that. Yeah. yeah. But now, I mean, I actually love playing it. Um, yeah. So my next question was going to be, you know, you've gone from a point of feeling all of those things and spitting out those words because they were how you felt at the time to now being able to appreciate the quality of the songwriting and the quality of the music. And, you know, you go to great lengths to create your, your pieces of art, my friend. I mean, you've got session musicians from around the world that you've, some of them you've never even met True. Uh, to and pull together the mosaic of your music. It's amazing. Very modern. Very modern. Well, we live in a really interesting time um, for musicians. Um, you know, I, I need back in the day. You know, to to actually record was a you know if it wasn't on four track, and I used to record on old four track cassettes, and they're pretty horrible. Um, you know, that was certainly never going to be sort of studio quality. Today, your studio sits on your on your computer and. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty pretty damn good quality. Um, and if you know, with if you're lucky, you can um, you can get extremely good quality. It's no different what they have in studios. They just probably have slightly better equipment all round. Um, but you know what? Even great equipment can't make a crap musician sound good. That's you know. So at the end of the day, um, I think it's more about the quality of the writing and the, the musicianship for me. And I've been lucky to have you know friends who are also incredibly gifted musicians and uh, more gifted than I am, I think, and that I've been able to draw on. Um, and that's part of the process too, is sort of saying, well, okay, I write this baby, but now I want you to 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 add you know something of you to it and let's see where this goes and it's an interesting process to put it in the hands of someone else and then say oh i never thought of that or wow let's take it there because that's just a i just didn't see that coming but let's do that um so i'm lucky i, I can send out I, I use a drummer in texas austin texas uh, who's fantastic you know and I, I consider myself so lucky to have him in my in my um my stable of musicians mm. uh, he's my first port of call i usually send a track to him early i produce it to a point send it to him and then when it comes back it's like it goes up a level it's like okay that was demo now we've got the beginning of studio and it's like then it builds from there then i i, I send it off to a bass player you know and then it's like wow and then I've got, a, yeah. I've got several guitarists I use. I've used guitarists um, locally. Uh, a good mate of mine, Kev Jones, plays on Rope to a Drowning Man. I've known Kev since I was about 11. Um, I use, I've used a guitarist in South America. Uh, I have a guitarist in London I use quite a bit as well. I've used session singers um, on occasion. My daughter sings on Rope to a Drowning Man. So I, I, nice. I'm lucky that I've got other people that I can I can draw on. So it's by no means a solo effort. Um, and they make me sound good. Which I hope so they do. They, well, you make you sound good. Come on. <laughs> well, I have a little part of that's for sure. You but do. they, they certainly do. help, you know. Uh, yeah. And I think it's one of those, 
you know, questions of the um, the parts are, you know, that make up just greater than the, well, how's it go? The sum of the parts is greater than the height. I don't know, whatever, you know the saying, that one. That one, yeah, that, that one will do. Look it up, Google it. I have no idea. I made me laugh, I'll start having another coffee. <laughs> um, it's one of those. So, I know because we've talked about this, so I've, I've got inside information, but I know that the journey for you, because you've rebranded, you have rebranded, you've got new logo, you've got this kick-ass black and white image, which is very dapper, I must say. You've got all sorts of stuff going on for you. Something has, and I know that the journey over the past bunch of months, because we have talked about this, um, has been one of digging to get the confidence to put this stuff out there. And I know that that was not an easy thing for you to do. The music making was your joy and your passion, but putting it out there was damned hard. So what turned the corner? How did you do it? <laughs> okay, number of steps. Putting music out into the world is extremely difficult. And if you know a musician and they've released something, give them a hug. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's hard and I think people think it's easy but there is so much in in you know rope is a piece of my soul um and putting that out into a world where people can hear a little bit of my my personal journey in itself is a difficult thing um writing it's difficult producing it getting it to the point where it's ready to release is a real process uh not a cheap one and not a quick one um but releasing it is a whole nother level. The, the, I always said that whenever I release a track, I used to release mainly on SoundCloud in the early days, but this is a whole new, this is, you know, Ooh. Radio Ready releases out on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, um, and there'll be CDs and stuff down the track. Um, this is saying, okay, I'm, I'm a real musician. I'm a real songwriter. Take me seriously because I'm taking myself seriously. That's not an easy thing to do because the, the old head sort of says, who, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> you're not that yeah. good, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. or, you know, there's always going to be people who'll tell you you're not that good, but there's also people who love what you do. Um, but it is a really, I find it a quite, quite a, an anxious time for me when I release because there's all that, there's a lot of built up sort of, I don't know, maybe it's expectation, there's, there's fear of rejection, there's, there's fear of failure, there's fear of success. There's all those, there's all those things and you've got to push through that. Uh, so for me, uh, there's been a number of steps. I had to come to terms with who I am as a musician, first and foremost, uh, yeah. and make a decision about which path I wanted to follow. Yeah. Did I want to try and write for other people and remain anonymous and see if I could sell songs to people. Um, I think at, at 55, um, the likelihood of getting picked up by a major label is uh, pretty remote and I'm not that interested anyway. Um, and Or do you go down the path of being an independent artist and putting it out and taking control and, and then you've got all the things that go with it. How do you promote it? How do you get found? How do you build an audience? How do you, you know, build a, um, a brand around that? So it's, it's a mighty, mighty task. And mm. um, I do most of it quietly on my own in the early hours of the morning. So how did I get here? Um, 
it started by recognising that we live in a completely different world than 20 years ago and that you don't have to have a record company, mm. that you can take control of your own art and you can put it out into the world and that it's yours and, and you can control that. So it started with that, um, I guess, um, insight. And then realising that, you know... You don't need a billion people to love you. You don't even need a million people to love you. You just need to connect with people, really connect with a, a, a large enough group of people that they can help, or if you like, maintain what you're doing by giving you energy, by buying your your, your product or whatever, and, and being part of that. Cool. Then recognising that that's part of what I wanted to do, I then had to work out how I was going to to exactly do that. And did I have, you know, I had a lot of fear around that. Um, I had, I, I went into the studio a couple of times last year uh, and I was really unhappy with the results. I had other people mixing my tracks and I didn't like the results. So it's like, I felt kind of helpless. And so then I went off and I learned how to, to you know, I did courses on audio engineering so I could take control of the sound. Um, and then a, a truly remarkable thing happened. Well, about 18 months ago, I picked up a book. I think you know the book. It's called The Five Second Rule. And uh, it's got nothing to do with food falling on the floor. <laughs> um, but Mel Robbins' Five Second Rule, I, I, I was actually um, recommended it by a client. Um, yep. And I got it on Audible and I listened to it nonstop from start to finish. And it changed my life. Um, in more ways than I could have possibly imagined when I read it. So that was a early 2017. Mm. Um, I started, I set my alarm for six o'clock in the morning. I got out of bed and I started getting on with my life, really getting on with my life. And it was the beginning of a journey that continues today um, uh, that included, you know, pushing those those boundaries, facing those fears, talking about them, being real about what it's all about. You know, I now get up at five o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know too many musicians that get up at five in the morning and write and play and record at five in the morning, but I do because I find that that's a time of the day that I can produce, that I can be creative, that I own. There's no one else around here at five in the morning, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's my time and, um, you know, I don't have to justify it. Yeah. Um, so, so that's how kind of this journey. And then I joined a course. I actually joined a course called The Power of You, which is how I met mm. you. Mm -hmm. And I did it on an absolute whim because um, I followed Mel Robbins on Facebook and then this ad came up for this course and I clicked the link and I, I distinctly remember this. So kiddies, if anyone's listening, any kids, block their ears, because this is what hooked me in this moment, yeah. I, I, I'll try and clean it up a bit. But no, don't, don't. Mel was Mel was actually sort of talking about the course was closing in a few days, and and she said something along the lines of, "And all you people that can't handle my swearing, just get the fuck off my page. Like either get in the course or fuck off, right? Something along those lines." Yeah, yeah. And I thought, "Oh, I've got to do this course." <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I, I, I jumped into this course and it has been an absolute life changer. Um, mm. 
and going through that course and really drilling down on on what I what I wanted, facing if I like the fact that I have to say to people, my name is David Fuller and I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, an independent artist from Melbourne, Australia. Not I'm David Fuller and I do this for and I tinker with music in the background. Um, and it was that so recently that, that kind of moment for me, I remember I changed my LinkedIn profile to musician for the first time in 55 years. Yeah, that's um, brilliant. Yeah. So it's been a journey, Des. A huge hell of a journey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, now you've released Raptor Drowning Man yep. and it's available on your website, davidfullermusic.com, yep. for people to download. And, yep. so, so they can and, go and what's next? So what's next for you? Cool. What are you going to do next? Well, there's quite a bit coming. So I'm, I'm kind of... This is a really exciting and, 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 and scary time. So before Rope to Drowning Man, there's a, a song called Carry Your Cross as well that was released. And there's a song called 54321, and, and you get no prizes for guessing what that's about that came before that as well. Um, there's another five in the works that will come out over the next sort of couple of months. Uh, and there's a whole lot behind that that I'm mixing and will get mastered and will we'll release over, you know, the next... I don't know, uh, period of time, six to 12 months. Um, the idea is to get enough music up there that people can see that there's a body of work um, behind those three tracks. There's a lot more. Um, and to compile albums and to continue doing that, hopefully for the rest of my life and to actually get serious about trying to make some money. Um, and I'm a long way from making money. So go out and buy it, people. I'm a struggling musician. If you want to help a musician, here's a, here's a key. A lot of people don't know this. If you want to help a musician, like seriously help a musician who's put out a track, do two things. Buy the song on iTunes, pay for the whole thing, download it, and then stream it off Apple Music or Spotify. <laughs> they get paid more every time you play. They get paid twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's how you can really help. I like it. Got, I like you've it. You've got musician friends who are putting stuff out. Buy it and then stream the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it, it takes a lot to, 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 to get Ooh. the money back. Um, yeah. So that's what's coming. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to... Um, I've got a call in on Wednesday morning, hopefully taking on a mentor to help me actually do this. Uh, I am a marketer by, you know, my day job, if you like, but I'm a little too close to myself to market myself effectively, I think. So I've made a decision to try and, uh, and engage a professional as people engage me to help them um, to actually get that going, get serious about it. Brilliant move, and we will see you ramp up in, uh, you know, well, successive yeah. notches over the next twelve or so months. I'm looking forward. Yeah, to. absolutely, and um, and the music will change. You know, I, I've got, uh, you know, the stuff that's coming out was probably written over that sort of a lot of it's over that period. It's not all dark. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. In fact, I don't think most of it's dark at all. Uh, even rope's not that dark. It's just angry. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's fine. But um, there's a lot of my music, even now, my, my, my writing is changing as I'm changing. Um, so true. actually, that was a fear for me, Tess, which was interesting. Could I write when I was happy? You know? Um, and it seems you can. Apparently, I can. Um, so there you go. There you go. So on that happy note, I'm going to say 
cheers to that fabulous Australian musician that you are. And thank you for joining us and taking us to very dark places, might I add, tonight. That, you know, obviously we talked ahead of time that you're comfortable talking about these things, but I still really appreciate you sharing that. Because I think, you know, if we can shine light on dark times and share so that other people can, you know, get hope from that and, and move forward in their lives and, you know, that you've done a great thing. Well, not even not even touching on the brilliance of your music. I love I love your music. Thank you, appreciate it, Tess. Look, my pleasure. And if um, if talking about um, you know depression, dark times helps one person, then yeah, I'll talk all day. I'll talk all day anyway. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> no, fair enough. Bye, all right. Thanks all so right. much, my friend. So happy to have you on the show. Thank my you pleasure. very Anytime. much. Thank you for joining us on Finding Proof. Bless you.